Welcome back to another episode of The Sword and the Spirit. This is where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching, interviews, and conversation. The goal is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and actions on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm your host, Donald Reimer. Welcome back. Although we are studying the book of Revelations, it may seem to you that I'm jumping around and it's not And the reason why I'm doing that is because a lot of it is not written in sequence in terms of uh, some parts of it it just mesh together, like the seven seven trumpets and the seven vials are the same. So you've got to kind of move back and forth between the two, the various passages. And even what I'm reading here now in the 14th chapter about the rise of the beast, then it gets more information added on later on in the 17th and 18th chapter. So... It seems like I'm going back and forth. I'm just actually trying to harmonize everything and parallel it. But what I want to do today, and even though we're studying the book of Revelations, I can't not do this properly without giving the context uh, of the panoply of Scripture so that we get a best, the best possible understanding of it. What you don't want to do is just cherry pick, but you want to go from Genesis to Revelation as much as possible. I won't do that today, Genesis to Revelation, but I will give enough scripture to kind of help pull this into the context of what we want to share here today. And about and there are three messages that God sent the angels to carry into the earth here in the book of Revelations, uh, the 14th chapter, the sixth verse. And I know it's, oh, what happened to chapter 13? Well, we'll get back to that. But I think this is important uh, for us to know. 14 verse 6 says this, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the spring of water. Now the second angel followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And then the third angel shows up and says, followed and saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So the first one has an everlasting gospel to preach. That's the first one. And then the, the other one talks about the woman and then the final one talks about 
worshiping the beast. But notice the context here is about who are you worshiping or what are you worshiping? That's the context of this uh, message. If you notice, the common thread that runs through all those three messages is worship. On one hand, it tells you to worship God because his judgments are coming to the earth. On the other hand, it tells you about the judgment of, of Babylon, the woman who caused all the earth to be involved in false religion. That's the, the, her sexual immorality, false religion. And then it tells you not to worship the beast or the devil or the antichrist. And anybody who does will be, uh, be burned with sulfur and fire in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of the torment should go up forever and ever, and there will never be any rest. So basically it comes down to this. The devil desires worship. And that's what all this is about. And then man gets involved because some men desire worship. And so the question is, who are you going to worship? You're going to worship man, God, or the devil? Some people worship themselves. Some people look in the mirror and think, huh, too bad God didn't make two of me, right? They worship themselves. On the other hand, what we have is people desiring or the enemy desiring to worship. Now, let's look at this here uh, take a little walk, stroll through some scriptures here. And let's take a look at this. In Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, you see about the fall of the wicked one, the fall of the devil. Let's take a quick look at that. Isaiah chapter 14. And even back in the book of Genesis, uh, well, let's look at the devil here first and see what his, his issues were. And then we look at our issues because we're not that different in terms of desire. In Isaiah, the 14th chapter. And you were going to see what the devil the essence of sin, because if we understand what the essence of sin is, then we can know how to break out of it. 1412 of Isaiah. And it reads as thus. Okay, 14 verse 12. I'm trying to use off my phone here, so let's see how this works. And it says this, how are you fallen, son of dawn, O day star, son of dawn, or son of the morning? 
the day star. This is the devil being called the day star and son of dawn. I know it's just a little confusing because those titles are attributed to Christ later on. But that's when devil was in good standing with God. So he lost all his titles and they passed on to Christ. But now he's in his fallen condition. How are you cut down to the ground who laid the nations low? You said in your heart. Now here's the five I wills. I, I will ascend to heaven. Keep that in mind. I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. He wants his throne to be up high. So he's going to send it to heaven, put his throne up there. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. I'm going to assume that's the four and twenty elders where all the elders and stuff are at. In the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So five times the devil said, I will. In each case, the common denominator is I will. And the root of all sin is self-will. In Isaiah 56, In the book of Isaiah 53, excuse me, 53 verse 6, in Isaiah 53 verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. And here's the essence of sin, people. We have, de we have gone our own way. What was the sin in the book of Judges? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The problem with the devil and the problem with man is self-will. I will. I decide. I. 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 Self-will. And that self-will determine to take the place of God or to be like God. I will be like the Most High. I, too, will sit up on high. So pretty much what you're trying to say is you're going to depose God. That's what you're actually doing. You're trying to overthrow uh, God, and that's why the angels fought in heaven and kicked him out. Notice God did not fight the devil because the devil was a created being, and that wouldn't be a fair fight. So he sends his angels to handle it. Take care of, he sends Michael to take care of his light work. This is not really worth me getting up off the throne for it, so I'll let you guys handle that. And then Michael and his angels cast the devil out. Okay, so it's the idea of self-will. And man trying to, after he fell, man, ever since the fall of man, man has been trying to reach back up to God. But our problem is we want to do it our way and on our terms. And then we're going to bring all of our sin and self-will up there to, to God in heaven, which, which is where it does not belong. Hence, God's like, that's not happening. Don't bring it up here. So this is what we have, saints. We have a lot of self-will. I will. I will. I will set my throne on high. I will ascend above the stars of God. That means I'm going to put myself above all the other angels. Every All the angels are going to bow before me. I will sit on the mount of the sun. I'm going to sit up there with the, with, with the elders. Four and twenty elders and the four living creatures. I'm a, I am going to sit up there on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will ascend above the great cloud of witnesses, the church. I'm going to be above them. In fact, I'm going to just make myself 
like God. I'm going to be like the Most High. And of course, God says you'll be brought down low, etc. God's going to, he says, actually, the opposite is what's going to happen. In the book of Genesis, at the temptation of Eve, the enemy comes and he says to Eve, Did God really say? And then she quotes God, at least what Adam told her, you shall not eat of the fruit, neither shall you touch it, although there's no record of Adam or God even mentioning not touching. He just said don't eat it. But okay, let's go with don't touch it or eat it. And the devil said, no, that God is lying to you. See, so this is the big lie. We talk about the big lie these days. Well, the big lie here was that God was lying to them, which we know God can't lie. From the day that you eat thereof, you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Man, you're going to have such an understanding of life and reality. Now, up until that point, Adam and Eve, they didn't know good and evil. They just knew God. That was all they needed to know. But now, the devil is going to bring them into a world of contrast. And, of course, the temptation, she saw it was good, looked, looked pretty good, tempting to eat. And it can make me wise. So she wanted to be wise. She wanted to know, you know, a lot of things. Everybody likes knowledge. Which all she had to do was ask God if she had a question. I'm pretty sure God would have answered it. But instead, she decided to take another road. And she took another route to wisdom. Another route to where God wanted to get her. And let's do the shortcut thing. Ever since then, that's what it's been all about. It's about man trying to be like God. And man trying to reach up to the heavens on his own terms. His way. Shortcuts. Not God's way. Self-will. Self-will. Then later on, one of the great... One of the, uh, the first great empire actually was Babylon. Or Babel. That's the, the, the root word for Babylon is Babel. The Tower of Babel. That's, that's all that's in the plains of Shinar, Mesopotamia. Where they said, come, let us build a tower up to heaven. And it was led by a guy by the name of Nimrod, who they said was a mighty hunter against God. And so evidently, I think, uh, when I said Antichrist, by the way, let me digress. When I said Antichrist, there are many Antichrists. Antichrist, by that I mean is a spirit. As you can see, the, it's the dragon with seven heads. So that, that means the spirit has been around through the ages. And the first... What I call the first person to be possessed or be driven with the spirit of Antichrist is this guy named Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter against God. That's what his name means. And he decided we're going to build this tower up to heaven. Now, obviously, they, you're not going to build something, you know. We know how high it is just to get to the top of the earth. And I, I certainly doubt they're going to be able to build something that high because the further up you go, the oxygen gets thinner anyway, so... Eventually, they would have had to stop at some point. So you, you can't look at it in a wooden literal sense in terms of um, they thought they were going to build a tower to heaven. But they look at, but man has always been looking for a, a tower, a ladder, a gateway into heaven. You know, you see these movies like Stargate and where they, they, they open a portal and they go through uh, 
They're able to traverse across the universe through this gate, or in some cases through time itself. Uh, but man has always inside, because we're built this way, want to get to heaven. But our problem is that we don't. We want to do it on our terms and our way. So Nimrod, the mighty hunter against God, and God says, you know what? I'm going to take them down because they're going to be up here in a minute. So I don't know what that all meant, but God says if I leave them the way they are, whatever they have in their heart to do, they're going to go ahead and do it. And, you know, if you put me in a position, I'm going to have to, you know, flood the earth again. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll just confuse their languages. And in other words, God divided mankind. And so, yeah, some of the divisions in humanity were created by God to slow the process of evil. Because as one, as one people's thinking exactly the same way, we end up building this tower, and before you know it, you know, we're up there doing something we have no business doing. If you go to, if you go to Mesopotamia today, if you go to Mesopotamia today, you will find um, what they call ziggurats. And you even find them over here with the... Uh, the Mayans civilizations, they look like pyramids, but these are ziggurats. And what they are, they have these steps and everything leading up into heaven. And they would try, these, these were considered, these ziggurats were considered to be gateways to heaven. So you could go up the ziggurat and you would see they would have the sacrifice. Uh, if you want a good, a good idea what that's like, see the movie Apocalypto. And that'll give you a really good sense of what these ziggurats were like. And the Mayans, which is what Apocalypse is about with their ziggurats, they had human sacrifices. And they would take you up there and they would wait till the eclipse because they thought God was doing something or whatever, whatever their religious beliefs were. And they would have human sacrifices. But these were considered gateways to heaven. So you see that Nimrod's influence was always already there. They wanted to build these gateways to heaven. But then God does something different. Jacob is in that area of the world, same area, Mesopotamia, uh, down there by Jerusalem, all that plains there, all that's connected. Um, and he falls asleep. And then he gets a vision of a ladder being let down from heaven and the angels ascending and descending on that ladder. Now, I know we like the songs, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. And if you want to continue to sing the song, it's okay. It's a fun song, just like Father Abraham. But truth of the story be told, if you read the story, Jacob never climbed the ladder. Neither are we climbing the ladder. It just says the ladder was open and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That's all it says. Um... And then Jacob wakes up and says, surely, you know, I, I, this is the gateway to heaven. I, I, I didn't realize it. Okay. Of course, we know the latter is, uh, I believe the latter is, is representative of Christ. But notice what God does. God lets the ladder down to earth. It's not a ladder that's built from earth up. It's a ladder that comes from heaven down. And so... If we're going to get into heaven, God has to. God has a gateway, and that ladder is Christ. Christ alone. So, in that sense, I guess people figure climbing is Jacob's ladder, but God has opened a gateway or a door to heaven, and that's Christ. That's all the symbolic is. Uh, 
you know, but to turn it into a song about climbing a ladder uh, implies human effort, which we'll deal with that in another series. But the point in being here is that there is a gateway and it is Christ and that's the way to get in there. But here's the problem that people run into. You have to come to God on his terms. You cannot dictate and tell God on what your terms are. See, everybody wants to come to God, but then when Jesus lays out his terms, he says, okay, you want to come to God? This is what I need you to do. And then all of a sudden, people change their mind. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and come follow me. He that loves mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. If you're afraid to confess me before men, I won't confess. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, when he starts laying out his terms. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And boy, did he thin the crowd, didn't he? He said many went back from that point on and never followed him just because he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Wow. Okay. And then when his apostles said, this is a hard saying, who can receive it? All Jesus said to them was, are you also going away? And they said, well, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, yeah, saints. Uh, people have been trying to find a gateway to heaven. And mankind is steeped in the worship of himself and he's steeped in the worship of everything else but God. We worship a man. We worship politicians. We worship presidents. We worship kings. We worship world rulers. We worship everyone and everything but the one who should be worshipped, which is God Almighty. How about that? Uh, that's rather strange. So part one, I want to look at the woman or Babylon, the woman that rides the beast and whom all the kings of the earth have committed fornication with. And we're talking about world religions. Now this is where I lose a lot of the audience because the exclusive exclusivity of Christ is the only way to God. And people are like, oh no, there's multiple ways. Well, no, there isn't. There's only one, and that's in Christ. But again, I can only, I'm a messenger. I can only give you what the Word of God teaches and every, every individual has to determine whether they want to accept that or not. But there are five basic worldviews, five basic worldviews that are the root of all religions. Uh, the first one is atheism. Atheism. That says there is no God. And the Bible says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. There are those who, and I like science, but some scientists, just for whatever reason, are, are atheists. But there are other scientists who are people of faith. So you find both in, in the science community. And I like, I like scientists. And I, you know, but I, you know, one scientist said uh, he's gone now to his reward. But he says the universe is all there is or ever was or will be. That what you see is what you get. That's it. This, uh, this universe of matter, etc. That's all there is. There's nothing else to it. That's one uh, worldview. And you say, well, that's not a religion. Well, 
No, it isn't. It wouldn't be considered a religion, but it is a belief system that impacts religion because now instead of having a religion, there is none. It's just whatever, you know, everything is okay. You know, I mean, you can have one or not have one. But atheists believe there is no God. Most people who say they're atheists or agnostic, they believe in a higher power or some sort of supreme being or aliens seeded the earth or whatever. Um, or the Big Bang Theory, etc. As to how we got here. But what they don't believe is that God spoke and the universe leapt into existence. And it was a Big Bang, but then you have to ask yourself, what caused the Big Bang if there was one? Right? So at some point, uh, the book of Genesis refutes this because it says in the beginning God. In fact, it refutes all of them because it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That means that before there was the heavens and earth, before there was the universe, there was God. So God pre-exists and predates the universe itself based on scripture. But if you don't believe in scripture, well, then you're just left to your own devices. But I'm talking to believers right now. So that's atheism. Secondly, the second worldview, and not necessarily in this order, I'm just going as it pops into my head, is animism. Animism. Animism is the idea, and you find this in very uh, tribal cultures, Native American, uh, European, some of the, uh, the, the older uh, cultures. Uh, you find it in Africa as well. Uh, voodoo, Santeria, um, version of we call it Ober. And here in the south, in the southern part of the United States, they call it uh, root, where somebody's working root on you or whatever. But animism, and what it and animism, it says that spirits can inhabit objects, they can inhabit people. Well, we know the, the demon possession. But the idea that the spirits can live in objects and possess things. And so you can have a, a rabbit's foot or, or a good luck charm. You see people wearing the good luck charms around them or whatever. And every culture has this. So um, it's not just uh, Native Americans or, or in Africa. You find it global. You know, you see it in the movies, you know, we're trying to find the ten rings or the swords of the family that have great power. Um, around objects and things of that nature. But there is no God, it's just spirits. And so, you know, there's evil spirits that come against you and so you can go to the to the medium and she can give you something to ward off the, the, the bad spirits or whatever. Or if a woman can't get pregnant, you know, they'll say, well, your dead uncle is preventing you from having kids and this is what you need to do uh, to... Uh, rid yourself of that. That's animism. So that has to do with no God, but just spirits and demons, and you're battling your way along. There's demons in the water. There's demons. If you drown, they don't say you drown. They just said a demon in the water overpowered you. That kind of stuff. That's animism. The third one that comes to my mind is polytheism. Polytheism. Polytheism, you see that in uh, poly meaning many gods. You see that in Hinduism. I don't know how many. They've got hundreds, maybe thousands of gods in Hinduism. Although I, they, they have their own version of the Trinity. 
Shiva, Krishna, and and uh, Shiva, Vishnu, and Krishna. One is a giver of life. One is a sustainer of life. One is a destroyer of life. So it's sort of like a like a circle, a cycle of life. You see that in the Lion King, the circle of life. That's about reincarnation. That circle, birth, sustained life, and then death, and then rebirth, and so on. And the circle of life continues on. And uh, anyway, but that's that's polytheism. Now, in polytheism, the the life is circular. You know, you die, you keep coming back until finally you reach some sort of uh, state of perfection. Um, you find something. You don't really find the whole reincarnation thing in in Buddhism, but they do try to reach nirvana uh, through a series of lifestyles or behavior. Some Buddhists uh, do talk about reincarnation. Uh, but again, that's a circular worldview. And a Christian worldview is not circular. It's linear. It's a straight line. It's not a circle. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's it. It's a wrap. Okay, but anyway, polytheism. Many gods. We're talking about the lady that rides the beast. These are the worldviews that she... This is, this is what she's about. She's about atheism. She's about animism. She's about polytheism. Um, she's about mono, even, or yes, even monotheism. And we're going to get into that a little bit further with the whole monotheism. There's only three monotheistic religions in the world. And ironically, there are five major world religions, but the, which, the, which engulf pretty much the, the whole world. There are other ones, smaller ones, but these three, these five are the major ones, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Uh, but having said that, three of them are monotheistic. There is one God. Now on that level, they're right. But then after that, it kind of, the horror of Babylon gets into that too and takes some of that sideways. But again, we'll, we'll cover that here in, a, in the next segment. But I just wanted to deal with uh, these varying, uh, these various worldviews: atheism, animism, polytheism, monotheism, and the fifth one is pantheism. Pantheism. Pantheism says there is no god. Like in Buddhism, there is no god in Buddhism. Siddhartha Gautama, who who became the Buddha who was the founder of Buddhism, it never asked anyone to worship him. But he founded, a, in fact, he broke from Hinduism, and instead of having many gods, he declared that everything is God. So the chair is God. The, the wall is God. Um, the floor is God. That tree is God. Everything is a piece of God. We're all together. Everything is one. All of nature, all of creation is God itself. And you see this in Star Wars with the, when you see things like the Force, that's, that's pantheism. Um, you know, the idea that, you know, um, you see this in Wiccans. Wiccans do not worship the devil um, per se, or at least openly. It's not, you know, you see these crazy movies and she's a witch and the devil's always somewhere there hanging out with him. Uh, no, that's not what Wiccans are. Wiccans worship nature. Um, so that's, that's what real witches do. They worship nature. It's all wrong, I know, but I just want to put it in perspective. 
so that if you're sharing your faith with people, somebody tells you they're wicked, you, you know, you don't want to go straight, to, yeah, you're worshiping the devil, well, you know, they're not going to get that, so, you know, start with where you, with where they're at. So again, the idea of worshiping nature, those that you see that with Wiccans. So these are the various world religions that the, that the devil has crafted and has influenced to keep man from God and to keep man trying to get to God, but through his own process. And each one of these religions, each one of these faiths, there is a there are people who are there trying to get to God. Now there's two roads to righteousness. Two roads. Well, the atheism of just, the atheists, they just gave up altogether. They're not even trying to get to God. At least they say that on the surface. But like I said, a lot of them are really agnostic. They do believe in God and kind of hoping they discover he's there, but they won't say it out loud. Um, but all the other religions, you're getting to God or you're controlling the spirit realm uh, through a series, through a learning of how it works and, and certain principles, and then you can manipulate what goes on in that realm. Um, and I said, even in the monotheistic religions, but there's two words to right, two words, two roles to righteousness. One is self-effort. So you put in the effort, you put in the work. Even here in Christianity, even here in the Pentecostal churches, you have to do something to get yourself into the kingdom. Do. Every religion, every false religion, and every false version of Christianity has that in it. There are elements of that in it. And that's what we have to constantly fight because it's natural for us to think, I have to make some kind of contribution. I can't let Jesus do all the work, right? <laughs> I got to do something to save myself. Well, if you, could have, if, you could, if you could have done something to save yourself, God would just told you to do it. But truth of the matter is we can't. So self-effort. The other one is through the work of Christ. And that's what the book of Revelation brings out in, con in contrast, you'll see that in the book of Revelation. There's those who are redeemed by Christ, and then there are those who want to do it their way and follow the beast and worship someone else and anything else but God in an attempt to get to God. Isn't that interesting? You're trying to get to God, but then you're going to worship something else to try to get to him. That, does, that doesn't even make sense. But okay, sin, is, sin makes you a little crazy. It makes you a lot crazy. So those are, so when we think of the whore or the woman that rides the beast. This is what the Bible's talking about. And all the nations, every nation is, falls into one of these categories. Every human being on the planet falls into one of these five categories. Pantheism, everything is God. Monotheism, one God. Polytheism, many gods. Animism, spirits, manipulating the spirit realm, voodoo, etc., and of course, we know atheism, which usually you find in the scientific community, but I don't want to, you know, but there are Bible-believing people in the scientific community, and they're, some, and they're very brilliant, too. They're smart. So that's the, the uh, five major worldviews. And when we talk about the horn that rides the beast and all the nations of drunk for fornication, it is corrupt religion. It's a corrupt faith. Remember, every time you see the woman in the Bible... It's always dealing with religion. Either she's the church or she is false religion. She's one of those two things.
Now I need to put some disclaimers in here in the next portion. Remember I told you that you had the woman with the sun and the moon and I said if you, the, the double meaning, the second meaning is it could be the church and the man-child was the true church, the real Christians trying to get out of that church. Um, and the enemy was waiting to swallow it up as soon as it came out to destroy the real body of Christ. And then after, because he couldn't get to her and the child was caught up to God, some would say that's the rapture. If you're pre-trip, that's cool. But having said that, then he goes out to make war with the remnant of, of and the descendants of, of, the, of the woman, of, with her seed. And one of the ways the, the devil may wages war against the seed of the woman is to infiltrate it. Now I'm going to read something to you here in the, uh, in the book of Acts when Paul was at Ephesus. And he was talking to the elders and giving his farewell address before he went on to, uh, and he gives a warning. He gives a warning. And it's very important for us to understand and to heed this warning that the Apostle Paul uh, gives. Because what's, what he, he talks about later on, that after he left, that grievous wolves, grievous wolves would enter in, not sparing the flock, seeking to get disciples to, you know, to, to come after them, to follow them. And he gives a warning to the elders and he says, you know, I want you to, I want you to be on your guard and protect the church of God. It's in Acts chapter 20, verses 17, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, the leaders of the church, to come to him. And when they came to him, he, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. I was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the, the plots of the, of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I love Paul. He said, man, I know bonds and imprisonment await me. He said, but none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear, but that I may finish my course. A true man or woman of God is determined to finish their course. Persecution or no persecution, no matter what happens, a man or woman of God, we must stay the course. We must hold the line. We must preach Christ and him crucified when it's popular and when it's not popular. When people listen to you or people don't listen to you, you stand and you preach and you say what God tells you to say. 
no matter what the consequences. Martin Luther wrote the hymn, he said, let goods and kindreds grow, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth abides still. And though this world with devil filled should threaten to undo us, one little word from Christ will end him. Hold the line, saints. Let me give you the exhortation right here. If you are a believer, and a Christian, or a minister, or an elder, hold the line. Whether people, whether it's popular or not, whether people listen to you or not. Somebody was telling me, oh, you know, uh, how's your podcast doing? A lot of people aren't listening to it. Well, I know that. It's okay. But I'm going to hold the line. I'm going to keep on doing the podcast and keep sharing what God gives me to share, uh, regardless of the consequences. That's how it goes. You preach the word in season or out of season, when it's popular and when it's not popular. But you hold the line. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I, am going, I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul says, I know I'm not coming back. Therefore I testify to you this day, this is his farewell address, that he's innocent of the blood of everyone. Look, anybody die and go to hell, it won't be because of this podcast. Uh, you certainly cannot say you didn't hear the gospel because I, I, I guarantee you'll hear it here. And therefore I testify that I'm innocent of the blood of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And that's what we're trying to do here. I'm just trying not to shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. And sometimes I have to step into some muddy waters and get in trouble. But like uh, John Lewis said, this is good trouble. So sometimes you just got to get in trouble, and I'm about to get in trouble now because it's going to be—it's going to be good trouble. And then he says, verse twenty-nine, and here's what I'm trying to say, saints. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among you, from among your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them, not after Christ. They're not trying to get people to follow Jesus. They're trying to get people to follow them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And he said, he coveted no man's silver or gold or coat or apparel. Notice the woman is, is, is adorned in fine apparel of silver and gold because false religion is about, the, is about the Benjamins. It's about adorning themselves with silver and gold. And man, you can see she's decked out here in the book of Revelation. She got all kinds of silver and gold and, and wealth and riches. She's doing great. The book of the Laodicean church says, I am rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having wealth, but the way she gets it is by running con games on people. And people giving away their, their hard-earned money because of a con. Promising things to you that God has not promised to you. And here you are giving your last dime, thinking somehow you're just going to incur favor with God. When God has already given you favor, he doesn't need your money. I like what Keith Green wrote. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't want your money. I want your life. 
And that's what God is after, our lives, not, not your wealth. He doesn't need it. God said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the cattle on a thousand hills belong to me. Why do I need your dime? And I said, Brother Ryan, does that mean we shouldn't tithe? No, of course you have to tithe because you got to pay for the, the bills for the building and stuff. But I'm talking about con games where you're being lied to. But I'll get to that right here in a minute. In fact, let me, let me get into that right now. So now, I just gave you the five major world religions and how they, that's the whore of Babylon. But one of the other tactics of the enemy, what about the true church? Now, let me say two things. Number one, in every church, in every church, in every church, you will find true believers. There is no perfect church. Some churches have more true believers and preach more of a, of a, of a, of a gospel than, say, others. So I'm not suggesting that if you go to a particular type of church, therefore there are no saved people in there. Because saved people can also be deceived. It happens. Okay? Um, and be tricked. And some of you listening to this might have some, find some of that mixture in your own belief system. And it may be a shock to your system. But it's okay. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just simply means that we just picked up some bad teaching. You know how you can sit down and you can eat a meal and everything on the table is good, but you, you didn't realize... There was, there, was, there was poison in the pot when you ate it. But God's got a remedy, okay? So don't panic. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean your loved ones aren't saved if they're in these types of churches. Uh, but you just pray for God to open their eyes so they won't get sucked into the, the, the madness. Second thing is, Jesus said that the tares grow among the wheat. So I'm not trying to separate tares from wheat here. Because you can't tell the difference. Tares and wheat look identical until... The harvest time. Then when the harvest time comes, you can separate them out. So I'm not telling you to leave your church, run out the door, go down the street or whatever. Because frankly, there's nowhere to go. This stuff is everywhere. But I'm just trying to make you aware of it so you don't get caught up in it. That's the best that we can do. But I don't care what church you go to. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to find, you're going to find something. And... People don't like to admit it. You know, we all have a little bit of error in the process, and I can attest to that because I have changed my views over the years. The more I better understand the Word of God, and God gives me insight, I change, and I readapt, and I readjust. So, just make the adjustments, and then fact-check me. Don't, never, remember, like I said before, don't passively listen to anybody. Just fact-check me. To see if, in fact, this guy is on point with the scriptures. And do your own research. Again, that's the whole point of the podcast. is to create a conversation. To get us thinking, talking. And maybe taking another look at some of the stuff that we're hearing. And saying, I don't know. Is that biblical? Let me, let me double check that. Okay. So, the enemy has infiltrated the church with a lot of weird stuff. Um... So I'm going to give you three things here that I think in the modern body of Christ are dangerous in the sense that it's called mission creep, takes us away from the mission that God has called us to. And one of the teachings is you find in Word of Faith 
teaching, word of faith, word of faith. And I'm not interested in who's teaching it, so I don't call out names. But I'm interested in the teaching itself. And in word of faith teaching, the whole idea is that uh, through the force of faith, you can speak things into existence. And faith is a force, and words are the containers of the force. And through the the force of faith, you can speak things into existence and change your own reality. It also teaches that God wants you to be rich and to prosper, that poverty, in effect, is a sin. Those are extremes, of course. But the idea of speaking things into existence is a form of metaphysics. It's a form of metaphysics. It has nothing to do with the Bible. And it's a false interpretation and false understanding of faith. If you go back to one of my previous podcasts, I talked about, I explained what faith is or what saving faith is. Because not all faith is saving faith. They love to misquote Hebrews 11.1. 1. You know, God, uh, God uh, spoke the world into existence. And then they assume they can also speak things into existence because as God does it, I can do it too. And they turn us in, and they even tell you that we're little gods. We have the same creative ability as God does. But if you notice, all these teachers die. They're so powerful, why are they dying? Hmm. Well, that didn't work, right? I should just speak death away and I should never die. Listen, you're going to die. I was having this discussion with my, one of my daughters the other day. And I asked them a question just to see what they would answer me. I said, okay, so let's say I'm 103 years old. And I get sick. Do you pray for the, Do you pray for me to get well? And she paused for a moment. She says, "Yeah." I said, "Okay, suppose I'm 110." She says, "Yeah." I said, "What if I'm 200?" In other words, saints, at some point, at some point, something's going to take you out of here. And do we pray for God to help them exit, or do we continue to pray for God to heal them? Now, we don't even know if the person wants to stay here. Maybe the person's ready to go home. And we're trying to keep them here. There's, there's limits, saints. There's limits. Okay? Uh, as much as I love to keep my parents here for, with me forever, I would, God forbid, they're alive now, and I pray they stay healthy, like, forever. And, but that's, just, that's my natural, normal self-talking. But the truth of the matter is, I know at some point, God's going to take them home to be with him. And I'll have to go through that grieving process. But the idea, God wants you rich. And see, what people do is they come into these, especially these poor rural areas. When you go to South America, it's loaded with this kind of stuff. I like John MacArthur's understanding of the widow's might. He said it wasn't so much that God wasn't so much commending her that because she gave so much and now, you know, uh, God's going to bless her, which I'm sure he did. But God was saying that as a rebuke to the religious leaders. You got this lady putting in all her money in an attempt to incur favor with God when she doesn't need to give me money because she already has my favor. But okay, you know, and well, I bless her. I'm pretty sure Jesus did. But he's saying you religious leaders need to stop lying to these people and making them think that I want their money in order for them to get favor from me. 
That's the that's the, where the, the discrepancy comes in. And the amount of holy water and first of all, you don't even know where the water came from. I could run water in a sink and a vial and a bottle and tell you it's holy water. I can go to the store, buy some Western and Crisco, pour some oil in it. And even pray over it and hand it to you and say, this is oil straight from Jerusalem. This is olive oil straight from Jerusalem. But it's Crisco. You, you won't know. The, you don't know. Tell me anything. But the amount of nonsense in God's name. Remember I said we're all children of Rome. The Roman Catholic Church, did. they, they, were, they would sell. They said they, they sold enough pieces of wood. They said this piece of wood came directly from the cross of Jesus. They sold so much wood in the, in the dark ages. That they said they could have cut down a forest. Well, there ain't that many trees Jesus was hanging on. And then they had another one. They when they wanted to, to raise money for to build the uh, to build Rome, the basilica, they had a a little uh, Johann Tetzel came into Luther's district in Germany, and he taught the people in the church when the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory will spring. The more money you give, you can buy your way out of purgatory, and in some cases. Yes, even out of hell. You can get your, your loved one out of hell if you give me enough money. So naturally, you love your parents that so you've given your last dime if I can get them out of hell. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Con games. Now they get on TV and tell you that if you want to be blessed, oh, sow a seed. If you sow a seed in my ministry, God's going to bless you. And the only thing that's happening, if you notice now, you're not getting any richer, are you? I know people who have done all this stuff. And they're not getting any richer. But the guy on TV, he's getting richer. He's got he's got book, he got jets and cars and everything. He's living good. A nice lavish lifestyle. All for your dime. In the meantime, you're struggling to pay your bills. You don't have the, the level of health care they have. It's a con game, saying save your money, put it into your local church, and invest it in ministries that are actually doing something to advance the kingdom of God. Now you say, oh, but no, they have orphanages and stuff. Yeah, well, the clock that doesn't run is right twice a day. Of course, it's like the mafia. The mafia has businesses. They own trucking companies. They'll do moving companies. They own stores, bodegas. But it's a front so they can launder their, their, their money. And so these guys will put up orphanages and schools around the world. Yes. You know, praise God for that. But you know what? It's a it's a front so they can launder their money because really they're living off of off of you a lavish lifestyle. But they want to make it look good, so we got to put on a little show for you. It's a con. Uh, my daughter got something in the mail one time, and and she said, "Oh look, Dad, you know it says if I send this money in, if if I re if I uh, return this coin or whatever, they sent her some money, and they asked her to return the money, and if she returns it, God's going to bless her." They're going to, and they're going to send us a pack of holy water, and God's going to bless her. She says, you see, Dad, there's no money involved. I said, okay, let's, let's, let's carry it out. So she mailed it back, and it came back with a little tiny pack, and you couldn't even, you could barely squeeze it. It was, it was no bigger than, than, than my thumb and my middle finger. It just filled right in there. And you could barely see the water, the so-called holy water moving. And I asked my daughter, I said, where did this water come from? What makes this water holy? You don't know where it came from. And by the way, I don't care if they say, oh, this water came from the River Jordan. Well, let me, let's, let's do a little bit of science here. Water evaporates, right? So 
there's probably no place on the face of the earth the water that you have in that bottle hasn't been already. It evaporates, goes up into the sky, it floats, it rains, then it evaporates, it rains again, and eventually it makes itself around the world. So probably all this water we have here on earth practically has been in the, in the Jordan at some point or the other. So whoop-de-doo. Save your money, saints. Final segment. So don't fall for the con, saints. Keep your money invested in your local church, invested in your community. A lot of these ministries don't even invest in our communities anyway. They take all of our money and ship it out somewhere else and live good. Meantime, our community needs help and nobody's helping us. So let's keep our money in our community and amongst ourselves and help our own community and look out for one another. The second one is New Apostolic Reformation. New Apostolic Reformation. Now, New Apostolic Reformation says that we, is called Seven Hills Teaching, that we're, the church is going to take over, the, is going to conquer the world through the seven hills. Uh, we're going to take over the education systems of the world. We're going to overtake, overtake other re world religions. We're going to build super families, strong families. We're going to take over businesses, uh, media, the news organizations, um, the government and the military, and arts and entertainment. Christians are going to take all these strategic areas and then and Christianize the entire world. And once the world is Christianized, then we will tell Christ to come back. Can you believe that? We're trying to tell Jesus when to come back. But until we take over the world and Christianize it, Christ can't come back. There are ministries that some of us look at on television or on radio that actually believe this. But you wouldn't know it by listening to them. You have to actually become a member and then you and, and get more into what they're teaching than you'll see. Now, it's, there's a half-truth there. I do believe that Christians should try to get into all those seven areas. And when I do the Mars Hill Project, I'm going to deal with these seven areas of trying to be an influence in these areas and bringing Christ into these various aspects of uh, systems. Having said that, however, I'm under no illusion that we're going to Christianize. That's just never going to happen. These are just a means of understanding how we can do evangelism in this new marketplace but that's it. Let us sit right there. But other than that, we're not going to take over. We're not going to Christianize the world. And we're not going to tell Christ when to come back. Christ is going to come back when he wants to. And he'll be the decider. And there will be no theocracy here on earth. No Christianization of the world, so to speak. Until Christ comes back. So that's where I divert. I, they and I would split apart company. But again, it's the whole idea. And all this is man-centered. All this is man-centered. And you remember, and the Catholic Church sought to do that, right? Because that's why the Rome persecuted, they had the Inquisition. Anybody that wasn't Catholic would be persecuted. And they, they, them and the Protestants, both Christians allegedly, were killing each other because they wanted to dominate the world. And through military and through religion. And as you can see, it doesn't work. Theocracies don't work. 
It's no different. If we try to take over the, the, the world or try to create a theocracy, we're no different than the Taliban. You cannot take your religious faith and force it on other people via legislation and make people kowtow and bow to, you know, to your legislation. And I know we misquote scripture, righteousness exalts a nation, sins of reproach to any peoples. Yes, we want our nation to be righteous, but we do it through preaching the gospel of Christ. We do it through witnessing and living our lives out in a godly manner and influencing us in a positive way. Now, if a Christian wants to run for political office, yes, run for office and bring your Christian influence. If you can bring good legislation that's honoring to God, then yes, by all means do it. But, we're, but do not be under any illusion that somehow, one day, we're going to Christianize the world. We do what we can for as long as we can, whenever we can. But that's as far as that's going to go. Don't kid yourself. As fast as you can pass one law, you get another set of congressmen in there, and they'll, put, they'll, they'll repeal that law and pass another law. And then you fight to get back in there and pass, pass that Christian law back, and then they repeal it. It's an ebb and flow, seesaw. Haven't you noticed? Sometimes the Democrats win, sometimes the Republicans win. It's an ebb and flow. That's the way it works. But we're not going to ever live in a theocracy, saints. You cannot make people do your bidding. You cannot make people to obey God. Why am I trying to force people to do something that God isn't even trying to do? People have choices. They can serve God, they can serve the devil. Well, listen. You, you give forth witness, you put your, your, the truths of the word of God out there, you're faithful to preaching the word. But after that, it's in God's hands. It's all in God's hands. So we're not going to... But that's what you have right now. You have, in this country, the Christians, this is why you have riots at the Capitol, because they see the America becoming a pluralistic society. More inclusive, there are, there are other religions building their temples and mosques and, and temples here. And they're having a meltdown. Well, now you know how, it, how they felt when we went to their countries and we built our churches in their countries. And they looked at us and said, oh my God, they're coming here with these foreign gods. That's the same thing we're, we're doing to them. The world is, is pagan, people, and it's going to stay pagan until Christ comes back. Period. Now, we've had a little break here in the Western world. Thank God for it. But that time has come to a close. And now it's time for the church to get back to what she should be doing. And I, I suspect God is allowing it to happen because we have had done some mission. We forgot about evangelizing the world. We, we stopped sending missionaries. We stopped reaching out. And then it became all about us. You ever notice there's no more tent revivals anymore? You know why? Because churches switched over to conferences, because conferences were more lucrative. Now, it was a great idea for teaching and training your people, but we don't do that anymore. It's all about the Benjamins now. And we go to these large hotels, we have these vast meetings, and spend all this money, and yet can't raise money for missions. And yet can't send missionaries to the ends of the earth. Why is that? It's simply because we've bought into the lie. And so what God has done is let the nation go pagan. That's right. He let the nation move away from God. 
because we didn't use the nation's resources and the opportunities and the peace that God has given us to reach the world for Christ. We stopped and we became man-centered and we became made the religion all about us. We are the children of Rome. The same <coughs> con games the Roman Catholic Church had going, same con games we got, we've been running. And it became all about the money and the mega whatever. And I'm not against mega church. The first church when Peter preached, that was a mega church. So I'm not against mega. But it's, it's about winning souls, not about having mega so I can get a lot of money. As a pastor, I can get a nice cushy salary. As nice as that would be. Now, I'm going to read something. This is from a book, Christless Christianity, by Michael Horton. And he's quoting uh, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse. He says, what, what would things look like if Satan really took control of a city? Over half a century ago, Presbyterian minister Donald Gray Barnhouse, and you can still listen to some of his sermons online, just uh, type in Donald Gray Barnhouse, offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was also broadcast nationwide on CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over Philadelphia, all of the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday. And here's the kicker, where Christ is not preached. Where Christ is not preached. In other words, the devil is totally into religion. He can, he can get with the whole being good thing and the nice community and... And 2.5 children in a white picket fence and living in the burbs and living, oh my God, just living a great life. And even going to church as long as Christ is not preached. In order to push us off point, this is back to Michael Horton again. In order to push us off point, all that Satan has to do is throw several spiritual fads moral and political crusades and other relevance operations into our field of vision, focusing the conversation on us, our desires, our needs, our feelings, our experiences, our activity, and our aspirations. And that, and that will energize us. At last, now we're talking about something practical and relevant. A man-centered gospel. Man-centered gospel. Today we have a proliferation of apostles and prophets. Let me say this. Apostles and prophets are foundational ministries. The Bible makes that clear. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ is the chief cornerstone. There are no more apostles and prophets anymore like you're going to see what we see in the Bible. You're not going to see another Isaiah or Jeremiah except for, you know, the two witnesses or whatever you see might happen in Revelation. But you're not going to see that anymore. You're not going to see any more apostles 
on the level of Paul the Apostle, etc. The word apostle just simply means missionary. It's the same word, but okay. But are there apostles and prophets today? Yes, but not like the ones you saw in the, in the scripture. And I'll go into that one, one other time. In, in Catholicism, it says it's in, when the Pope puts on all his papal garb and he sits on the throne in Rome, on a papal throne or papal seat or whatever you want to call it, it looks like a throne to me. And you see these thrones in, Christian, in, our, in, our, in our churches now, in our Pentecostal churches now too. But okay, when they sit on that throne and he's holding the staff and the hat and the whole nine, and they say at that point he's speaking ex cathedra. That ex cathedra means that all everything he says at that point is equal to anything ever written in scripture. He's he's talking directly from God. And so you can take whatever he says and take and and, and put it in scripture. Now for years the Pentecostal church beat Rome up about that. Oh my God, you know you're not you know what do you mean he's speaking ex cathedra? That's false. But now we don't have one pope. We've got several popes. Everybody's speaking ex cathedra now, right? We got apostles and prophets, and everybody's saying what God, what is going to happen. And and people are buying into this kind of stuff. This this is mission creep, saints. This is what we, I just read to you there in Michael Horton's book. The devil likes all of that stuff as long as Christ is not preached. If you ask ask yourself uh, you ask yourself this question, I'm going to close with this. Ask yourself this question, and we'll we'll deal with it in the next uh, couple in the next uh, segment or, or podcast. But I want to leave you with a question this time because again, I said I'm, I want to stimulate you. I want to get you riled up. I want you to step back and start questioning things and and asking and getting back into the scriptures. But ask yourself these, these, these questions here. What is the gospel? Do you even know what the gospel is? And what is the, the difference between law and gospel? Is there a difference between law and gospel? Or maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. You tell me. So we will explore some of those questions again in the next one. And yes, all this has is relevance to Revelation. Because the three messages that the angels had was worship God, don't worship the beast, and come out from come out of her. Later on in the seventeenth chapter, eighteenth chapter, it tells you to come out of Babylon, come out of the false religion. In other words, reject her practices. No matter no matter what you see going on around you in the body of Christ. When something is false, you know, you just sort of, you know, mentally sit there and check out. So when they're done. Because like I said, you're not going to find the perfect church. Tears and we are going to grow together. So God bless you. And I will definitely appreciate all those who listen to this. I don't care if it's one person or three or a hundred. I just want somebody to get something out of this and be blessed. And that's my prayer. God bless. Thanks again for listening to The Sword and the Spirit. If you want to reach out to me, rhyd1-2001 at gmail.com or you can reach me on Twitter 
at Donald underscore Reimer. It's my Twitter account. So praise God, and we'll be seeing you next time.